Welcome to the second session um, today of the Dust of Everyday Life. Um, there has been some debate about this phrase, the dust of everyday life. Does it belong to the world of jazz? Does it belong to a wider world of music? Does it belong to Picasso? Um, I think we're going to try and claim this phrase for the, the world of visual art for the time being. So my name is Moira Jeffrey. One of the things that I am incredibly aware of at this event is just the, the sheer amount of personal and professional skill and um, lived experience in the area of, of the arts and mental health that we have in the room. Um, so I'm going to be really frank with you and say that I am here to learn and to listen. Um, I do love talking, um, but I'm going to try not to do too much of it today. We have some eminent speakers, but also because I'm hoping um, that what has already been so fantastically described as the long table um, might also become a bit of a kind of round table. Um, this event is a fantastic opportunity. I think Andrew is correct that this is the first visual arts focus um, event that the Dust of Everyday Life um, has hosted. But I'm so aware, particularly in view of the projects we're about to be talking about, um, of the role of, of visual arts in this field. So I think it's a chance for us to open up some of the questions about the role of visual arts um, and to talk a little bit, I think, in a way that might shape um, future activities and, and thinking around the visual arts. Um, we have some amazing images um, behind us, which are the responsibility of the artists. Now, they're not always going to be in sync with the conversation. Um, if you have a question about an image, um, these lovely people can explain to you after. Um, and I would like to introduce the panel um, for this session. I think the session um, is... Do we have the title up there? Um, the, the, the implication from our title is that this is a, a, a session um, about visual art and stigma. I think it will be about that, but I think it might be a session about um, visual art um, and well-being as well. And I think it is a session about visual art, the, the particularities um, of visual art and the questions that we might have about visual art in this context. Um, I'm absolutely delighted um, that we have panellists with a huge amount of not only um, experience, but I think of activism and energy um, around this issue. People who haven't waited um, to be invited to do things, but people who have created structures, connections, activities of their own, and people who are um, looking to the future um, as much as reflecting on their experiences. Um, so first of all, on my right, I have Lauren Stonebanks and then Stephanie Wilson. Um, they're both here representing Out of Sight, Out of Mind. Um, it's a project that was launched in 2013. It's a massive project. Um, an annual exhibition is a multi-venue exhibition and it features diverse work by over 100 artists with experience of mental health issues. Um, the project aims to raise awareness and challenge preconceptions around mental health and well-being. And Out of Sight has collaborated with organisations like the Willow Project, MECOP, the Travellers Carers Project, 
the gallery on the corner, Penumbra's Edinburgh Self-Harm Project, the Alma Project and CAPS Advocacy. On my left here, um, I have the artist Najesh Druskowski. She's an artist who's based in Glasgow. She has an extensive exhibition history um, and a contribution to the city, I think, since you came to, to study here a few years ago. Yeah. Um, yes, in, 20, in 2011. Right. Nadej, at the moment, um, is exhibiting as part of the GI Festival. Um, for those of you who haven't yet encountered it, Glasgow International is a massive undertaking um, for two weeks this month. I think there's something like over 80 exhibitions across the city. Um, and Nadej has been instrumental um, in a project called The Clinic, which I've had the great joy of visiting in the east end of the city in a very kind of glossy office building called the Albus Building. And The Clinic is um, a dynamic space. It's a space where... Art happens, but where I think the viewer also needs to, um, to participate um, and has to respond and think using um, mind and body. It's a series of immersive environments and it, it prompts reflections um, into the idiosyncrasies of things like alternative therapies, therapeutic environments. And it plays, I think, with perception, assumption, with ideas of reality and authenticity. And here on my far left is Alexander Story Gordon. Um, Alexander is an artist, a writer, a curator, would that be fair to say? <laughs> yes, curated yes, like, <laughs> an exhibition um, which is also taking place at GI. Um, and he is one of the artists behind the collective Broken Grey Wires. It's a contemporary art organisation um, whose work explores mental health issues um, and who has some very high profile supporters. Um, yeah. including <laughs> artists like David Strigley, Jake and Dinas Chapman and Jeremy Deller. Um, and I wonder, just before we begin the conversation, if you'd just like to join me in giving our panel a really big welcome. So I think before we get involved in a kind of more mutual roundtable conversation, um, I really wanted a chance to, to hear from our panellists something about their their own voice, their own story, and above all, um, their own projects. Um, and I wanted to begin by just asking them, I think everybody's going to make a, a short presentation, is too formal a word, but people have thought a bit about what they might say about the projects that they're involved in. Um, and first of all, I wonder if I could ask you, Lauren, to, to tell us about your project. You can ask. <laughs> Um, hi everyone, I'm Lauren, my heart rate has just tripled. Um, this is Eeyore, he's going to keep me safe. And this is Lush the Magic Chainmail Dragon, who likes alcohol far more than any chainmail dragon should. <laughs> I'm Lauren, and I'm either batshit crazy or bug-fuck-insane, depending on the day of the week or the phase of the moon. I was diagnosed with mental health issues in 2000, and to paraphrase a certain famous frog, it's not easy being crazy. Life is rather stacked against us. It can be difficult to access services, and getting benefits can feel impossible. And then there's all the negative portrayals in the media. This makes living with a mental health condition much harder than it should be. It even goes far to say as this not only keeps us ill, but is a major factor in us becoming ill. The world should be championing equality and kindness instead of this nightmarish hell. Those currently in power won't change anything. So us mad people have to do that for ourselves. The helplessness one can feel when in this situation and the desperate grasping at anything that might be of help is partly what introduced me to independent advocacy and CAP's independent advocacy in particular. 
I'd been given their borderline personality disorder booklet and found it so helpful that I got in touch with them. I don't like talking to people, so that was a, a pretty major thing for me. I was quickly drawn into the personality disorder project and then into exhibiting in the 2012 SNAF exhibition, which was put on by CAPS at um, Edinburgh University's Chaplaincy Centre. The exhibition was run through CAPS, a mad history project, which is led by Kirsty McLean, who's hiding down there because she didn't want to talk about this up here. <laughs> <laughs> the first year I just submitted a small piece of art. It was a hacked IKEA um. clock that I also made run backwards. It was the next year, 2013, when things got really interesting. That was the year Out of Sight, Out of Mind was born. A collaborative partnership of around six charities and many individual artists who came together to put on a show. On my more mad days, I maintain our goal was world domination. But for, for today, today, I'll settle for art as advocacy, education, reducing stigma, humanizing people with mental illnesses, with a dash of political activism. It's quite a lot, actually. <laughs> We decided to use the small animal hospital part of Summer Hall, the old dick bit, in Out of Sight, Out of Mind's first year, with a satellite exhibition in the chaplaincy. CAPS, along with MECOP, the Edinburgh Self-Harm Project, Bipolar Scotland, the Alma Project, and the LGBT Centre for Health and Wellbeing, put on a pretty decent exhibition. A steering group of mad people and some of the charity employees and volunteers planned it. We arranged the venue, asked for submissions, advertised it, created artwork, curated the pieces, installed them, invigilated them, and if we had any spoons left after that, occasionally managed to enjoy it ourselves. Highlights of the 2013 exhibition included a living exhibit. Sally turned, herself, turned one of the larger cages in the small animal hospital into a cosy living room. And whilst wearing her diagnosis as a label around her neck, she invited people in to talk about mental illness or whatever else they wanted to discuss. The mad woman is in. There was also Elspeth's patient letters room. This contained 1,000 handwritten help bees sort of plastered all over the wall and also folders containing many letters written by patients of the Royal Edinburgh Asylum from over a century ago. These were never sent as they were deemed too crazy or too critical of the asylum itself. We continued to use Summer Hall as well as some other satellite venues, including various libraries, the Chaplaincy Centre and the occasional shopping centre. Each year our exhibition grows as we have more partners and more artists joining the fold. Last year we had the entire basement of Summer Hall and received work from over 100 individual artists, some of whom were represented by Gallery on the Corner, Space Artworks, Barony Contact Point and LGBT Youth, to name but a few. Year on year we get more visitors and many lovely entries in our comments book. We want to make it bigger and better each year and do our best to actively include the excluded. Art is an excellent medium for advocacy and activism. A picture really can paint a thousand words and help others gain a more intimate understanding of how it feels to live with a mental illness and the like. Lily Fullerton's interactive piece, interactive brown envelope piece from last year showed people just how badly welfare reform is affecting people with disabilities. No one should have to deal with panic attacks just because yet another brand DWP envelope has come through their letterbox. I, do, I think I do this partly because I'm a masochist, but mostly because of how effective it is. After the 2014 exhibition, a mental health professional got in touch with CAPS, in part to tell them how a particular piece of art enabled them to finally understand one particularly distressing aspect of a certain mental health condition. I suppose I should get an enormous sense of well-being from being a part of this, but my evil brain pixies don't like me being happy when I deserve to be happy. 
I do know we're achieving great things with this collaborative exhibition, and I hope I can remain a part of it for many years to come. Thank you so much, Stephanie. I, I think what was wonderful about that was, amongst the positives, there was also the complexity, and I think that might be something that we can tease out today. Um, <laughs> sorry. Sorry. Um, I'm really, really sorry, Lauren. Um, I think that one of the things that, that we can do is, is um, tease out the complexity involved in, in exhibition practice um, and maybe the distinctions between some of the ways we've talked about art um, in its therapeutic context and then this kind of public life um, that a project like that might be. So I'm sorry about the, the word slippage there. And Stephanie, can I invite you to speak about your experience of the project? And I wonder, do we need the mic a little bit closer? Um, so, hi, I'm Stephanie now. Um, I'm currently a fourth year studying uh, art at Edinburgh College of Art. Um, unlike Lauren, this is only my first year of being involved in the Art Site Out of Mind exhibition. Um, what an experience it's already proving to be. <laughs> I got myself involved uh, after, visiting the show to see a f after visiting the show to see a friend's work last year. Expecting the usual gallery affair, I was quickly overwhelmed by the sheer scale and variety of the content on display. I was struck by the inclusivity, volume, and amount of all those involved. Um, as ages ranged from young to old, and the disciplines varied from photography, painting, drawing, performance, sculpture, body art, film, poetry, interactive digital art, and actually many more. Um, I was amazed and couldn't understand where all these mad people had been and why I wasn't there. Rather ironically, the sense of inclusion was one of the best things I thought about the exhibition. It offered a platform where individual artists collected under the exhibition values of mental health conditions. However, each individual artist's work was displayed in a manner which was precisely that, entirely their own, individual and unique, defining, sharing and expressing their thoughts, opinions and feelings how they wanted to be, ex how they wanted to be represented through a platform which situated their aims, which were generally those of advocacy, understanding and inclusion. The diverse works expressed the different perspectives of all those involved, from emotional and personal accounts and reflections to more politically engaged works. This aspect of the exhibition helped to highlight to me the importance of platforms like CAPS and the exhibition itself. Their role to help reassert individual presence within the community, helping to build a more informed collective understanding, seeking action and responsibility for care and support, including those who were otherwise not included, and offering a platform of support and an opportunity to be recognised and included by society. The exhibition for me has proven to be enlightening, highlighting and connecting me with so many people and topics of a discussion, which was the main reason this year I decided to get involved. So I tagged along to the first meeting this year and uh, so far haven't really stopped. <laughs> this year's exhibition promises to build upon last year's success, spreading across multiple locations including Summer Hall, Central Library, Leith Library and St Andrew's Square. Um, in celebration of the 10th year anniversary of SMAF, the 2016 theme is based around time and some of the submissions will be based around this. Um, <coughs> providing uh, this theme should provide a rich source um, of inspiration for those involved to express and share their experiences in a variety of ways. During the planning meetings, we regularly keep each other updated on the project developments and the evolution and creation upon different types of work. Some examples of this already include a dance piece involving choreography and props to help dancers express what their experiences of depression can feel like, 
And another example um, is an open call submission hoping to create a collection of visual responses to Allen Ginsberg's 1956 seminal beat poem, Howl, to celebrate its 60th anniversary. Myself, um, if all goes to plan, I'm hoping to create a rather weird and probably a little bit mad video using um, some green screen and a form of poetry, I guess you could say, but it's really just my rambling thoughts to create a narrative dialogue uh, to create a film, which, if all the weather goes correctly, it should be projected each night um, onto the shadow uh, pool uh, located at St Andrew's Square uh, each night uh, in the hopes that this public location can help provide a further reach and further contextualise the exhibition and those represented within the wider community to help represent, engage and discuss issues around those with mental health conditions. For me, the best thing about this exhibition so far and what CAPS itself provides is inclusion. An opportunity for a conversation to help enter and engage in a dialogue to address the pressures and unachievable goals which sometimes are put onto the individuals with the problems themselves. So. Thank you so much. I think this, this, this theme of pressure, which was something that, that Lauren had, had ended um, with, um, is, is developed by Stephanie in the way that inclusion um, can sometimes address that. Um, I'd like to now ask Nadesh to tell us about her, her work um, in developing the exhibition The Clinic. Thank you. So I'm uh, Nadesh. Hello, everyone. Um, so I'm one of the five artists behind the... The clinic, which runs, um, which is a, a show part of Glasgow International that runs until next Monday, and the idea behind this show, um, we've been the the five of us are artists who graduated from the Hamlet in Fine Art practice at the Glasgow School of Art about four years ago now, and we've been collectively um, doing shows together quite often, but the idea behind this specific one was. Um, something we are all quite interested in, which is um, starting with the idea of belief system and how in belief system for something to work, you really have to believe in it and starting to research it. Um, and I think we all have an interest in psychoanalysis and alternative therapies, which are used a lot of, I think, a lot of the work uh, from artists is done um, in a context where there's a lot of anxiety when you make the work, or it's something we all deal with um, in this uh, well, profession, if it's a profession. <coughs> so when we started researching that show, um, um, we, we started using um, alternative therapies, or what, you use, what, what we call pseudosciences. And what was really interested in the research is that um, contrary to science, which is often seen as an absolute pseudosciences, and alternative therapies offer up a space which is more an in-between, and we were interested in exploring that in-between and in making work which could be made um, available to everyone. And it was very important in designing the show that all the work could be approached and dealt with and touched um, by everyone who came to the show, and, and not just um, not just something that you would look at on the wall. So all of the pieces that um, have been designed and the way the space was constructed um, was reflecting that. Um, so when you enter, in, enter the space, you are um, confronting by a wall of mirrors, which are quite disturbing. They reflect your own. Um, when they reflect um, your own entrance, and then you get in the space, and you, you will see some of the images 
Um, but all the work, it's quite um, interactive and we wanted the show to be very Im immersive. So you will have works such as reflexology beds where you're invited to lie in and you would listen to Tibetan bowls. Um, you would have other works um, where you would sit down under what looks like big pepper mache mushrooms and the artist um, recorded people's dreams and you're invited to enter this environment and share the, the person's dream. There's another piece um, that has been um, designed around what is called the dream machine or Ginsin machine, which is something um, like a rotating piece of light with patterns that would create shadows on the wall and it becomes really hypnotic. So you enter through that sculpture and it's like a maze using that design and you have a very hypnotic video in it. And there's also quite um, surreal photographs around the space. And I presented a film which is very meditative about a community of monks in the French Alps, um, um, like a silent community of monks and the film is quite contemplative, quite meditative, and invites to take a break from the everyday life. So I think in terms of the show, it's been, I suppose, quite successful in the sense that people do participate, they do sit down, they do lie down, and they seem to spend um, a lot of time um, in the show. Um, so, yeah, I don't know if I have... <laughs> I, I, can, I can verify that last point. I have spent some of this week listening to people's dreams um, beneath these giant mushrooms and um, lying and um, listening to Tibetan bull music. Um, and I think there, there was some kind of um, pop and rock sneaked in when I was there as well. There were moments of, of liveliness. Um, for, the, for the final contribution for this bit of the session, um, I'd now just like to ask, ask Alexander to tell us a little bit about Broken Grey Wires. Hello, everyone. Um, Broken Grey Wires is a contemporary art organisation responding to and exploring mental health, uh, philosophy, psychology and everything in between, so uh, quite a broad remit. We're currently made up of five artists, uh, Liz Brady, Kirsty Harris, Jared Pappas-Kelly, Robert Good and myself, and we live across the UK, um, we have really quite uh, <laughs> a broad reach, we usually meet in Manchester, which is where Liz Brady's based. So together we uh, research and explore uh, these ideas around mental health, uh, philosophy, psychology. Um, and we try to do that in a supportive environment, discussing films, developing workshops, writing articles, and most importantly, making art that engages with, uh, within the context of mental health. Uh, Broken Grey Wires provides a slightly different function for each of its members. So for me, it's a research collective who support my particular interest in developing work both as an artist and a curator in an accessible way that engages with mental health issues. But for others, it's a more academic, academic critical or um, activist practice. And fundamentally, it also works to support a network of artists who have mental health issues. Um, I personally don't, but other members of our collective do. And this is one of the primary focuses of Broken Grey Wires. It's an acknowledgement that although art is a wonderful form of expression that can provide both spiritual, psychological um, uh, expression um, and a degree of cathartic release at points, um, <laughs> uh, to work as an artist in an art world has 
our causes quite a lot of difficulties. It has particular social and economic pressures and uh, precarious employment and all sorts of uh, factors which actually make working as an artist quite difficult, especially if you have mental health issues. And in some ways we're set up to try and challenge that and try and create um, an environment which is more supportive, it's particularly given um, the way the state has changed, the way it looks both at the at arts and mental health at the same time. We also work closely with community, uh, critically acclaimed artists, as was mentioned before, um, major institutions, to open up a dialogue and provide inspiration and opportunities for people with mental health difficulties. So far, our activities have involved several live events under the banner LiveWise, which brought together artists, musicians, poets and comedians, including a very memorable contribution from Richard Herring, which I very much enjoyed. A series of zines, uh, we're currently on our third issue. Um, I'm currently working or developing a workshop with Project Ability here. here. Uh, 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 to produce an experimental 8mm film workshop uh, which will be, well, the results of which will be shown uh, concurrently with uh, the Scottish Mental Health Arts Film Festival um, in October. And Liz Brady is developing a major exhibition at the Yinky Shonibert Gallery, I, I can never pronounce his name properly, in London, uh, which brings together artists in a, distinct, a distinctive show to encourage uh, discussion and creativity within the context of mental health. Renowned psychologist R.D. Lang proclaimed that madness need not be all breakdown, it must also be breakthrough. This concept follows our ethos for Broken Grey Wires, creating a space for people to feel comfortable and participate in the project, for art to become a facilitator for recovery and for Broken Grey Wires to encourage people to become something special for themselves. Thanks very much. Uh, I'm so aware that we're kind of in the spotlight. We've talked quite a lot as, as um, individuals and there's a big emphasis often in the world of art making around individual voices. I'm also aware that when we've talked, some of the words that have come up so far have been group, um, inclusion, um, activism. And I wondered if any of the panellists wanted to talk a little bit about why it might be important um, as artists, and particularly as artists addressing issues of mental health, why it might be important to work together um, and what impact working together and in a group situation um, might have had upon um, either your artistic practice, your, your health, or both. Well, I'm looking at Lauren. <laughs> <laughs> I guess the, the simplest answer to that is that, um, well, the more of us there are, um, Sort of more sources of funding, and uh, <laughs> we can get a bigger space oh, and more possible. <laughs> yes. space in a, a nicer yeah. gallery, and um, having more people around means that um, there's more people to share the workloads. So it's not down to one person. That said, Kirsten does probably end up doing more than her fair So there's a, there's a very pragmatic set of issues there. Um, I wondered if there were philosophical and, art and artistic issues as well about, about <clears throat> maybe not always following the idea of an artist as somebody, as an individual labouring in a studio. I think there's um, often like quite a 
a history of having like the individual artist or the artistic hero suffering uh, in silence almost and lone protagonist suffering through their art form. Um, and I think there's something to be said sometimes in the, the fact that all those people are usually in a group where they can share those thoughts and opinions and that's normally where they put their art form out to express themselves and art is the way, it's just another form of language that I use because I'm not very good with words, I find that I have to express myself through what I do um, and creating a language through that and a lot of time the artists that we remember now as lone artists or solo artists, although they are working in their own format and their own language, a lot of the time the dialogues that they create are for others and um, I think Dave Sherry said that art for him was just a, a ploy for a conversation and I quite really like that because for me um, I don't really like talking to people, I, I like talking to people, I just don't like the start of the conversation or <laughs> how to get into a conversation. I think a lot of the time with topics that are more difficult or hard to express and things like that, having an art form or something that's stuck there, like the elephant in the room that everyone kind of has to talk about or create something that you can discuss and open up a conversation and a dialogue through, um, it's really useful for that. Did anybody else want to... I mean, I think I think like the pragmatic thing is is part of it. I mean, uh, for sure. Like, um, want to be able to. I mean, we all go through periods of time in our lives when things become more or less difficult, and we maybe want to hide from. Uh, things, especially, like, say you're curating an exhibition. There's certainly points when anyone wants to hide from that, but it can be exasperated if you have anxiety issues, and um, being able to spread that out between people uh, and especially being in an environment or creating an environment where people really understand your mental health issue or well, I don't know what to call it an issue but you know um, is I think it's just fundamentally good artist practice <laughs> I mean and, and as much as we can promote that as a um, a kind of norm within the arts the better I think uh, just an acknowledgement of uh, yeah how, how other people are experiencing things in some way and how that can be pragmatically helped through collectivization when we're kind of maybe incentivized to not do that, to not collectivize. And, and is this a strategy that's useful in addressing stigma? That's, that's um, one of the issues we're, we're thinking so, about. Yeah. <laughs> we can chat a lot louder when there's more of a shouting. Yeah. Yeah, I think I've, understood, I've, I've grown to understand other people's, um, other people better through processes of collaboration like that. Yeah. I, sorry, no, no, I was going to say that's one of the things we wanted to address with the show when we took the approach of using alternative therapies, which is maybe like um, a light approach and it's maybe something that is used sometimes to help addressing mental health issues, but it's also things which are used by probably any of us when, you know, you can use meditations or hypnosis, there's even things that you can find online now. So everyone comes in with their own experiences of mental health issue and we, I think what we wanted to do with the show and I think what really worked as a collaboration is everyone could be, bring their own experience whether of depression, of anxiety and take a gentle approach, um, approach to make very playful work but address behind that a more serious issue because if you need to take time away from a stressful life, I think usually stress is a massive trigger uh, for mental health issues. Um, and I think, yes, work, working collaboratively is really important, but it's also showing that the, the stigma maybe shouldn't be one because it's something everyone can appreciate, experience, and then what 
something like looking at a very meditative, meditative thing, if it can help someone just with a stressful issue, could maybe be something very useful in a more um, serious, maybe, um, context or when there's more serious mental health issues. There are quite radically different approaches to this, the, this, this kind of question of visibility mm-hmm. um, and stigma around the table. So, for example, um, you know, the, the, a, a, a moment of, of peace and listening to Bretton Bowles. Um, you, Lauren, for example, have, have mentioned artworks by artists that are quite confrontational. Um, an artist who placed herself in a, in a cage. Um, do you have any views about these strategies? I'm not asking you to critique a fellow <laughs> artist. I should be careful there. It, it wasn't. It was specifically designed to not be confidential. Right. So it, it was like her, her living room. It, she put up a picture. Um, I think she did. She have curtains up. Yeah. Yeah. She had curtains up and a little rug down and this lovely chair and so it was warm and inviting mm-hmm. and um, sat there with her cup of coffee and a packet of biscuits. <laughs> Um, so it, it was as far from confrontational as you can get yeah. and she just invited people in to talk and heard some wonderful stories which... and, and is, is, is art a form of storytelling is that, is that one of the, the, the things you think it, it does I, I have a confession to make mm-hmm. in that I'm not really an artist I, it's I, not true, just, surely I, <laughs> I, started, I, I started out as a medical student took a wrong turn somewhere into mental illness and then suddenly got involved in this and I'm not entirely sure what's going on <laughs> I think we but, have a very open definition in the, in the room yeah, of what I, artistic I, practice <laughs> is and I think you I, need I, it I don't, I don't have any sort of formal um, art education yeah. is, is kind of what I, what I mean um, so I I find questions like that kind of... Fun. For you, is it a form of storytelling? Because you do work, for example, with book, book formats um, in um, publishing and self-publishing. That, yeah, that was an accident. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I guess so. It's, it's try, trying to explain things that... Um, well, that I've, I think, have not been particularly well explained in the past, or... Well, that other people might find difficult to mm-hmm. explain, and I think if I can do it, I should do it. And yeah, that I think that's why I end up doing so much. It's it things like this need to be out there. Mm-hmm. Not, I mean, not yeah, just things that I do. Does it make you feel good? Pardon? Does it make you feel good? Um, that's a really difficult question. <laughs> For my mental illness, it's hard to feel good about anything that I do. So I, I tend to look at it and think, a five-year-old could have done a better job, but I know it's doing good. I, I know that it's doing good, but it m- might not make me feel good, which is, is this cognitive dissonance. Mm-hmm. Do, I mean, do we worry about the, the evidence base? I know that there are um, funders, um, <laughs> there are organisations who need to think really hard about the evidence base. As artists and organisers at this table, is, is the evidence around creativity, the arts and mental health, is that important to us? Or is it the, the lived experience? Any views? I've, I, I mean, all these things are very hard to quantify anyway. I mean, yeah, being asked to quantify how an audience reacts to something it's really virtually impossible, yet we are asked to do it on a pretty uh, daily basis if you're working with uh, public funding. Um, yeah, I don't, I don't really know um, 
I mean, personally, I would just... I, it, it seems hard to to say. I mean, like, the show that I'm putting on just now, for example, is part of Glasgow International Festival. Um, I wouldn't say directly relates to mental health, um, although maybe it has some some link to primal screen therapy that's been discussed. Um, I do... But, it, but people have responded to it in that way, and people I know who have uh, mental health difficulties have responded to it, and they've, they've taken something from it, and they've connected to um, the artist whose work it is, Don Levy, who actually himself struggled with quite a lot of mental health problems, and somehow tapped into that somehow, um, in a way which I could never design for or particularly um, aim for. And I only know that because they're my friends and they talk to me <laughs> directly. But, um, yeah, I think, I think it's... I think it's important to maybe preserve um, the idea of art as a proposition um, in some way. That makes yeah. sense. Like, I agree with that. Like, I think like, it's hard yourself to quantify what an experience can deliver or give to yourself because you can watch a film a few years ago and then uh, revisit it and suddenly it's something completely different or you can suddenly have like a eureka moment a couple of hours after you finish something. It's all about perspective a lot of the time. and even if something's happened, like we've talked this morning about childhood and the perception of that and things like that, and even if an experience or seems significant at the time, it can have a longevity or um, an impact on yourself or it can even prevent something developing before you're actually aware of it. So it's very hard to quantify um, those kinds of things. So we, we've talked about art as a form of kind of public address um, and we've also talked about it, I suppose, as a form of kind of self address um, it's a huge question but with so many people involved in the world of art therapy being part of today's conference can I just ask you very briefly um, to um, tell me about whether or not you think art is a therapeutic process and, and how that works I mean it's a massive question but I feel it would be wrong um, not to, to, to ask it of you um, in this context um, we'll start with Nadej actually yeah, well I think it does I mean that's a personal point of view but I think for um, someone who creates like when you create it's about asking questions and not necessarily finding an answer so there's a constant sort of um, anxiety under underlying um, behind so um, um, yes and I think like as you make work and you progress along the work um, I think you can feel a sort of therapeutic uh, moment and I think it, it also depends on what you explore because you can explore subjects which are less close to yourself but when you start dealing with subjects which are much closer to yourself and I, I've been part of an out of sight out of mind exhibition for the past two years where I was exploring issues where were a lot more um, sensitive or things which I not necessarily would want to put out there as I would do for a landscape for instance um, and there is then a more therapeutic aspect because you work with yourself and your own depression or your own anxiety or your own experience of mental health. And in that case, I think it is. Stephanie? Um, I think... I forgot what I was just going to say. My mind just gone blank. <laughs> but I think, yeah, for me, it's something that's... It's a journey and an exploration, a creative process, and it's a constant ongoing thing. And... Um, because of the fact it is an exploration, it all comes from an individual perspective and a viewpoint, and you're exploring your own opinions, and every time you get to a decision or you make a choice in something, it's you asking yourself a question and coming up with an answer, which is almost a 
validation of your mental state at that point of time. So there is a therapy in that, or a therapeutic value in that, that you become more aware of your perception or where you're at at that point. So I think there is a therapy in that, that it can do good. However, at times it can be a process that's very fraught and um, can be quite detrimental depending on how you relate to it. But I think having uh, the perspective and knowing that, and I think a lot of artists are aware of that kind of problem and the tensions and difficulties that they grapple and grasp with that. Um, being aware of those kinds of things are important, but it's a, it's a therapeutic process, and I think it can be therapeutic for others as well, and that's part of the reason why it's useful. Alexander? Um, well, I wouldn't necessarily put uh, therapeutic and, and uh, tranquil together. I mean, it's not necessarily <laughs> like a, a pleasant experience, but it can be therapeutic. Um, making art. <laughs> but this is, I mean, it, I mean, it doesn't preclude you from all the pressures of life. It doesn't. It doesn't stop that from impinging on your life. Like I, I heard a, a lovely um, piece of advice from David Shrigley, the artist who'd recently made a, a film where he was asked to give advice for children, mm. and he said that that making art wasn't like eating cake. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> so it's not that straightforward um, <clears throat> pleasure. It involved work and excitement and huge amounts of good. Um, but it wasn't uncomplicatedly pleasurable. Um, Lauren, how would you address that issue? I think, for me, the actual making of it is quite stressful. I find it, well, just all, all of it quite stressful. I mean, the bits of it, like, um, year before last, I, I made a whole load of um, hand, the, the book projects, so hand um, bound books, handmade books, um, using Coptic book binding, and that bit, that's very therapeutic because it's repetitive and that and making chain mail, that I find also very, um, that is um, therapeutic for me. But the, the sort of anything that says anything, mm -hmm. that is a lot harder, a lot stressful. But it seems to have a lot of therapeutic value for other people. Mm -hmm. The last thing I made in the book project, which had about 15 different items in it, was the little book of comments and I just stuck it on and didn't really think anything of it and came back and by the end of the, the exhibition I think we'd had 600 people through the exhibition and there were sort of 60 positive comments in it and I was like, okay, <laughs> I wasn't expecting that. But Thank you. So, comments and, and questions. I said I wouldn't talk, but I've talked for quite a long time. <laughs> um, we have about 10 minutes, we've got a question at the front. Um, even just sort of highlighting things, I think a lot of people are unaware of just how how difficult it is to live with certain issues and have to do, having to deal with the benefit system. Mm. They, they think that there are some people who think you just get twenty six grand given to you a year, and it's nothing like that. So yeah, just just highlighting that. I mean, if we could affect some change, that'd be awesome. But um, <laughs> I think that's going to be a long time coming. But, so, yeah, things like that, and, and the, the wanted poster, which I did see flashed up there, which is mostly Tories. <laughs> mostly. And I'm just wondering, in asking that question, is there is there a, a definition of activism that you might 
think would be useful to, to, to work towards or to work with? Uh, when I hear first year, you mentioned activism, I thought, oh, good, but there's, there's a campaign, you know, there's, there's mm. going to be doing something about it, like, to, you know, politicians and make them think about it. I do kind of do that. Well, I, we invite sort of our local MPs to come along, and in previous years they have come along to to the sort of opening of the exhibitions and local councillors as well. So, yeah, we are um, we are poking them <laughs> and, and, and they are responding. I think for locations this year as well, one of the things that was mentioned was the um, Parliament building as well, trying to get um, a space for some works in there. And, and cultural activism is about creating institutions on your own terms as well, isn't it, rather than accepting pre-packaged ideas of, of what you might do and where you're allowed to to do it. Um, I think that's incredibly important. That's something as, a, as an artist that self-organises Nadege that, that, that you would be aware of. Yeah. But I think it could be as simple as bringing the ideas to the public debate because it's something, like anything related to mental health issues, is still very much taboo and, mm. and it probably shouldn't be because all of us would experience it in one form or another during their own lives, but no one really talks about it. If you break your leg, it's easy. Like you would just get a few days of work, and then and then you know it gets better. And I think there's also things that it's not because you are affected by mental health issues. Like very often you're labelled and you're labelled for life, but it shouldn't be the case because you can also get better. So it's just bringing these things into maybe the public debate and bringing an awareness of this could maybe just a form of activism in itself. More questions? Yep. Yeah. I'd like to ask Alexander, you mm-hmm. said you don't have lived experience. Oh, no, I have lived experience, but not personal experience. Well, yeah, well, yeah. Yeah, I, I mean, I've got lots of friends and family who, who um, that's been a really big part of their life, especially my grandfather, actually, um, who I'm very close to. Um, so, yeah, no, I mean, I, yeah, I think everyone does, actually, if they really think about it, whether they're aware of it or not. And, yeah, no, I think that's, that is, I mean, I met Liz Brady, who, who started Broken Grey Wires, because she approached a gallery I was running at the time about, putting on quite a major, this major exhibition which was meant to be a Manchester uh, contemporary gallery and it didn't work out and blah 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 but I was just, I connected with the themes and I connected with her and what she was trying to do um, and exploring um, her own issues through curation, through um, making art and I wanted to support that in, in the way that I can do that which is through my own art and through curation um, yeah um, but uh, yeah, I don't. Yeah, I thought it would be disingenuous to say in some way that I am. Um, yeah. Uh, Yeah. 
them are to regulate and participate in giving a purpose for our existence rather than just going. Yeah, so I mean, part of that I think is just is is personal activism. You know, it's like actually just reaching out to those people that are close to you. But in in general, it's also trying to identify when that's happening in a public space or somewhere else where you see people are being, um, even or a workspace where you see other people who are employed by the same company being being affected. And and how can how so you can I think you can stand up for people in that situation very sensitively, obviously, um, and that's one way of of starting activism or starting a, a movement which is more vocal and visible. It, it seems it's a, it's a conversation that we are all part of and all mm. should be um, part of. Um, did anybody from the floor like to, to further that conversation? I think we have one, one more question. Yes. I was just curious of how it links into the uh, human rights um, kind of you know, um, because I feel that both the right to creativity and the right mm. to kind of security and health, um, I think that, that that can help in terms of the, the kind of issues around stigma and seeing mental health as something that sits by, by itself, whereas I would argue it's part of more of a continuum. And about the values of our society uh, and kind of, kind of near liberal paradigm, we're actually seeing. Issue where, and what we in some areas, mental health is a basic stigma, but overall, I would argue that actually mental health is, is worsening mm. uh, and becoming, in some way, you know, it's, it's either to be addressed as, well, that's an acute mental health issue, so we'll put resources into that and that's us deal with it. But it's actually the, the whole value system which you know, promotes economy over people um, and puts people at that massive pressure right, of saying, well, you're not economically viable, therefore um, you will be, uh, you know, have to you know, align to this or we will give you the same effects. Yeah, that's great. Um, so, so that, you know, bringing mental health issues into that broader critique of our society, I think for me, is something that art can do very effectively. Um, I'm just interested in your guest also. Okay, that, so that's a huge question about, about, <laughs> about um, these massive social and economic structures and understanding where um, mental health issues might, might fit in to other forms of social justice and, and inequality. I'm not sure we can answer that ooh, in two minutes, but I did notice there was an awful lot of nodding. Um, so I think we'll just we'll have this as a closing question, which I'll ask you all to address, and maybe just move along the, this long table. So to start, I think at this yes. End. Uh, for me, like the in living in like a meteocratic society, it's very hard to have like the pressure to deal with your issue or any kind of mental health condition is always stigmatised and put onto the individual rather than having a society that can responsibly or collectively have a consideration or just a general appreciation for that and help support it and I think that's very difficult especially when you look just at all the self-help books or things like that that can be around and the kind of society that does kind of enforce a kind of well that's your problem you've got it addressed now you've got a label for it you've got your pills get on with it and I think that's very hard and it's something that I've had issues with getting on with 
especially when people have that kind of approach a lot of the time. Um, so yeah, I think there's a kind of respect that, and a responsibility that's kind of been lacking in individuals just in the form of like the small realisation today that kind of, yes, everybody knows somebody with a mental health condition. And I think part of the problem sometimes can be, and I think that's why art's important, is that it provides the conversation or the, the point of um, interaction that people can have that hand out to people or just a moment to just check that everyone's okay or discuss it, just to have a conversation about it and not be as um, individualising and kind of giving the responsibility to an individual who's already struggling um, dealing with things to then have more to deal with and have the responsibility and all of the kind of issues and uh, symptoms of their condition worsened by the fact that they are now labelled with their condition. But, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Um, are you aware of the the human rights that um, is Andrew around? The, yeah, that the human rights thing that you did. Yeah, the declaration. Declaration. Yeah, you, you did like thirty art projects relating to each one, which I wasn't involved in. Are you aware of? Just wanted to check. Um, uh, I really don't know how to answer this. It's, I think uh, I think a lot of my work is well, my, my work anyway is sort of um, it's partly saying I'm here. I'm a human being. I deserve to be valued, even though there's a huge part of me that's sort of going, "No, you're worthless. Just go, go crawl back under your rock." And it's, I don't know. Maybe I'm protesting myself, but, but yeah. okay, Nadesh. Yes, well, I think I suppose one of the difficulties with um, mental health issues is when an individual suffers from a mental health condition, I think it would it will feel very isolated and would retreat from society and from themselves. So I think it's been really hard to actually go and talk to people and then maybe collectively do something because it's something very personal and very difficult to talk about and that's maybe when art can be used as um, as a tool because it goes be beyond words and you can express something really deep really moving that doesn't talk to the head but would talk maybe straight to the heart but it's also i don't know if actually probably most artists um probably suffered of mental health and if you take Munch for instance I think all his work is written with anxiety or, or Van Gogh is a very well-known example and they are things which are probably one of the most valued um, works and when you see the value they achieved today and there was people who probably very very much suffered during all their life and felt very isolated but they brought something that is huge and very massive to society and that we all benefit and can take away from ourselves so um. <laughs> thank you Alexander um, yeah well I just agree with what you said essentially <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, yeah um, it's particularly uh, a right to culture I think that's something that people really need to try and stand up for as much as they can it's not just like contemporary art or any art form often gets ambassadors as being an elitist thing um, that you don't have access to or you don't have control of and it's not for you and I think that's that's just a problem in general I mean so I feel like what you were saying is essentially 
you know, it's not individual mental health issues, it's a societal issue, it's a wider issue um, that is, in, is almost created by the economic and social conditions that we've decided we're allowing to continue or allowing to work out in the way that it is. And so it's a, yeah, I mean, it's a political thing, it's not even an artistic thing, per se. Yeah. Okay, we've, we've, we've finished on these notes which are about these very, very big, wide, um, uh, global and, and political issues. Um, but I think one of the things that, that's really struck me about the conversation that we've had in this panel is this moving between personal experience, the, the individual um, life experience, and the making of individual artworks, with these, these much bigger senses of, of connection, um, a, a kind of collegiate nature of working, a, a sense of um, activism. And I'm, I'm really um, thrilled to have um, heard what, you've, what everybody's had to say and to be part of, of this conversation. Nadej says something really lovely there about speaking straight to the heart. Um, and I think all of you have spoken straight from the heart as well. So I wonder if I could ask the audience to join me in thanking the panel for these contributions. Thank you.